Hello, this is Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind with me, psychologist Professor Richard Wiseman. And me, science journalist Marnie Chesterton. This is the podcast where we delve into the psychology of everyday life and answer your questions about human behaviour. You can expect fascinating facts, some scintillating science, and hopefully this will improve your life. In this episode, we're going to be talking about relationships. What's the secret to a happy marriage? Why do couples that bicker stay together and couples that seem happy break up? And it's love at first sight the basis for long-term happiness. And if it is, should you propose to complete strangers? Oh, instantly. Brilliant. Yeah, Doing that later. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Let's talk about a relationship that you admire. Admire? Well, my goodness, uh, I, I did actually talk to my parents about this because they've been together a very, very long time. Go on, how long? Quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. 60 something years, wow. I think. Oh, OK. Yes, yeah. Uh, and so I said to my dad, I said, any question at all that, that you might want to ask about relationships? And instead of a question, he just explained why the relationship had lasted so long in, uh, in his particular instance. I've got a clip of him. Shall we hear it? Hi, Ron here. <laughs> uh, I've been married for 68 years and I think the reason we've stayed together is I haven't been home since 1956. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's 90 His timing is amazing. <laughs> I, I didn't ask him to say it, he just came up with it off the top of his head, so um, we're, all, we're all very impressed. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yes. And I turned to my mum and I said, what do you think the secret is uh, of staying together with my dad? And she said, well, most of the other options have died. <laughs> and, and they've been together a very, very long time. And I think part of it is they do have a good time together. They do laugh together. And there's been some research uh, into this and, and the role of humour. And it's not so much joke telling or anything like that. It's, it's couples that simply, it's fairly obvious in a way, enjoy each other's company and can laugh at, at life. And yeah. they're, they're pretty good at that. On a previous episode, we talked about um, 94% of the population thinking that they've got a good sense of humour. Mm. So I guess in a way that's that's quite a nice stat for how many people think that they, you know, they might be a good partner. Yeah, I mean, again, I would always fall back on behaviour in the sense of do you actually laugh together? Do you find things funny? Because you each might have a wonderful sense of humour and uh, laugh, but not at the same time, as the old, old joke goes. So, um, And there's also some nice stuff into similarity. So is this old thing, is it birds of a feather or is it opposites uh, attract? The research comes down very heavily on birds of a feather. Okay. So the similarity. Which makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because you can have conflicts otherwise. A, a lot of the work has looked at personality. So whether, you know, two extroverts or whatever it is, um, are two friendly people. And to some extent that predicts longevity of relationship. But the better predictor in terms of similarity is actually what's called core values. Okay, so are you the sort of person that immediately throws something out of the fridge after it's gone past its best before? Or are you more of a let's scrape off the mould and the rest of it's actually fine? I'm not certain that counts as a core value. I was thinking I think more that, like religious and political beliefs. <laughs> Details, come on. Right, the thing that I've had the most fights with, well, people I've lived with before, uh, have been over 
who chucks stuff out of the fridge versus who keeps it. I think that would be more of a personality issue. That's a core belief. One one based around perhaps neuroticism. So I was thinking So you're saying politics is actually more important than whether you eat moldy um, cheese. Yeah, and and socioeconomic status is important. Uh, Also physical attractiveness. So uh, couples that tend to be the, the same level of attractiveness stick together. Uh, there was some lovely work, although, again, there's issues about replication, but lovely work carried out in the late 80s, which showed that couples in terms of physical similarity, the longer they're together, the more they resemble one another. Ooh, it's that's a lovely idea. And so the idea was that because they're either laughing together or looking grumpy together, that eventually this kind of, you know, moulds their face in a certain way. Uh, How do you I, even quantify that? I, like, if psychology is sort of looking at trying to put numbers on these things, I mean... Is there an acceptable scale of rating how attractive someone yeah, is? Yeah, I think you can do it because you would take couples that have been together five years, 10 years, 15 years, and you predict that those who have been together a long time would be more physically similar to one another. Going back to the attractiveness thing, do psychologists go, OK, yes, that is that person is acceptably a seven? They probably wouldn't use the word acceptably, but they would use the like, seven like, word. It's not just me. Science says this person is a seven, that person's a nine, that person's a four. <laughs> Well, that's that's normally how it's done. It's is a subjective it? oh. rating. Mm. I mean, some of the time, um, and my colleague Rob Jenkins does some of this work where you can take a whole lot of pictures and you kind of oh, you average them. them. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, 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 you get an average. So you could take couples that have been together a long time, take an average of all their faces, uh, and you could do that with one half the couple versus the other half, and then that can be sort of judged by computer. That can look at similarity. As I say, so the, the, there was this lovely work late eighties, which was that they, uh, the couples, the longer they're together, actually tend to grow together. In in terms of looking very similar, it hasn't replicated. It's one of those oh, ones that's fallen down by the, the wayside a little bit. But it's a beautiful idea. However, similarity rather than differences, especially when it comes to core values about decency and uh, so on, or political religious views, those are the things that really predict longevity. In my parents' case, I think a lot of it is humour. They, they do have quite a good time together laughing at life. But that's that's a core value, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. And also they have to cope with me. So it's good they find things funny. <laughs> What about some of the myths about what makes a relationship work? Well, I don't know if it's a myth, but certainly there's not so much research to support the idea of active listening. And that was big for a while. And this is to try and get couples to communicate better, that what you do is rather than move on to your point in an argument or discussion, you repeat back what you think the other person's point is. Does it turn out it just repeating what the other person's point is just makes them angry? Saying what the other person's point is, which may or may not make them angry, does lend for quite a bland discussion. That, that's that's right. So uh, what you're saying is that <laughs> saying... That, sorry. So I don't know how many layers... Yeah, exactly. A friend of mine was a marriage counsellor and they had a great technique. Do you remember Etch-a-Sketch? Yes. So this is where you, I don't know how you describe it, you, you draw a picture by twiddling one twiddling of... Twiddling some knobs that, two knobs that make a little sort of black point go up and down that's, and left and right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know how it actually worked. But you had two knobs and you twiddled them and that allowed you to control a pointer that allowed you then to draw a picture. And this was a big toy uh, when I was a kid, certainly. Well, what the uh, counsellor friend of mine does is put that down in front of the couple and one side of the couple gets access to one knob and the other person gets access to the other. And they give them quite a complicated drawing to try and copy. 
Well, you find out in two seconds whether this is a couple that's going to cooperate together or there's conflicts instantly and they start blaming one another and arguing, no active listening, a lot of shouting. So there's all these sort of techniques trying to understand the kind of anatomy of relationships. What about who takes the bins out? So I'm always a big fan of, of simplicity. And one way of assessing a couple is to say to each of them, what percentage of the housework do you do? And when you do that, it always adds up to more than 100%. Because each person thinks they do more than the other person thinks they do. And that can be a springboard for a lot of arguing, which, you know, makes for a, a fun counselling session. So all these are kind of fun techniques for trying to find out what's going on. And again, it's simplicity that often really drives us forward. So John uh, Gottman is, does fantastic work with couples looking at conversational analysis, uh, a very fine-grained look at the way in which they interact. And of course, you can compare couples that then break up or haven't been together so long with those that have stayed the, the course. And what he was particularly interested in, he was interested in lots of things, but, but the one that caught my eye was this five-to-one ratio, which is the ratio of positive to negative comments. Oh, okay. So we are very sensitive to negative information. I mean, I know when I, I give talks, you have an audience of a couple of hundred people. They're all smiling and it doesn't really catch your attention. There's one person, one person in the He's front sat row, there in the sat front there, row, arms grumpy, crossed, arms crossed. Unimpressed. And there's a performer. You can't take your eyes off them. That's all you're thinking. Is what is it? You ignore all this, this evidence that things are going well and just focus on this one negative person. And you get the same in psychology. If you show people uh, a whole load of smiley faces and one negative, unhappy face, they can spot it in an instance. But it's a whole load of unhappy faces. They struggle to find the happy one. So there's something about negativity that, that really attracts us. And it's the same in relationships. That one negative comment normally it then snowballs into other negative comments and now you get an argument. You actually need five positive comments to outweigh one negative one. We've had lots of questions on this topic and we've had a listener question sent in from Vicky Caledon and she asks... Is knowing how to argue well at the heart of every successful long-term relationship? I, I think it. I think it is because we were saying with the negative comments, think and snowball uh, otherwise, and I think it's knowing sometimes how to agree to disagree in a way that means that you continue in a relationship. And also some lovely work, James Pennebaker, who does really great stuff on what's called expressive writing. So this is where you write about the relationship in an honest way, including some of the issues that you disagree on. And when you do that, versus, for example, couples just writing about how the day's gone, you get huge differences in terms of satisfaction of relationship and longevity of relationship as well. So reflecting on the relationship in a way that isn't destructive actually helps you stay together. And so there's some arguments. If you go into someone's house and you see lots of photos of them together, or they go, oh, see that seashell, it reminds us of us holiday together, it was wonderful. All those things are markers to remind you about the relationship. And that's actually a pretty good indicator of how well things are going. Can I tell you the flip side of that? So a friend of mine said his grandmother, every time his grandfather did something wrong, she wouldn't argue back, she'd nod and then she'd go to the mantelpiece and she'd make a notch in the mantelpiece. 
And then at a certain point, she ran out of space in the mantelpiece right. to make notches, at which point she, she, another mantelpiece. she divorced him. Oh. I mean, but if you knew that you only had a mantelpiece's worth of, notches. you know, yeah, mistakes to make, you'd probably be sort of, I don't know, plastering over the cracks or maybe replacing the mantelpiece every so often. So back to Vicky's question about knowing how to argue well. It feels like some people in couples really like confrontation or they're, they're good at kind of wanting to immediately confront stuff. Other people would rather just leave the room or the relationship. Is the secret to arguing well the secret to a successful relationship then? I guess it would come down to that similarity. I mean, if you both enjoy arguing and it works for you, then that's great. I mean, it's true of all psychology. If it works for you, then then what's the problem? I guess if you've got that different core value where one person goes, you know what, I don't argue with people, and the other person says, I work things out by having big arguments, yeah. that, that's going to be a problem. So it's a kind of obvious answer, but I guess it's, it's, it's what I would think of. So I had a seven-year relationship, and I remember we had one argument about a pudding. And and in hindsight, seven years in one argument is either really good or there's something a little bit wrong that you're you've, you're kind of not well, talking I, about I stuff. Sometimes arguments about something relatively trivial like a pudding it's is not reflecting. Trivial. It was really important, Richard. What was, what was the pudding argument? He went to a restaurant and I had to work, but he said, I'll give you a call when pudding courses and you can come for pudding. Yeah. And then he didn't call me and then they'd all eaten pudding. This. And there was no. I was was really cross. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it was a massive case of FOMO and no pudding. Yeah. And then I sounded angry, and then everyone around the table realised that I was angry, and then they tried to get me a pudding, and then that made it worse because they'd made a fuss. So you, not you're, that you're I still held on to this. No, I was going to say there is a time to let go, isn't there? But I was going to say sometimes what looks on the face of it to be a trivial argument is actually about something much deeper so the, the pudding might just be your surface and actually there's other things going on like you know him not no I thinking. have hidden shallows and it was genuinely about the pudding you're listening to Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind and in this episode we're talking about relationships and we've had a, another listener question from Jules Grant being with the same person for 20, 30 years must inevitably lead to some monotony. How do you stop things going stale and becoming like business partners in a shared life? Well, I think part of the answer comes from the research of Arthur Aaron, who we've actually mentioned on other episodes because he often does really interesting work. And he looked at two sorts of activities and the impact on longevity of relationship and how satisfied people were. So he had people either do activities that the two of them found enjoyable or the two of them found exciting. And the question is, which group were more satisfied with their relationship? Those that went away and did enjoyable things or those that went away and did exciting things? Is it exciting? It is exciting. And that's part of the answer to the question. Okay. So, so doing something, maybe even you find outside your comfort zone, but it gets you away normally from routine and it gets the kind of adrenaline going and so on. Possible exciting activities. Uh, you might go and see a, a live concert. Uh, you might go canoeing. Uh, you might go on a hot air balloon uh, trip, go on a roller coaster. Things what? you enjoy, but they're also going to kind of get your heart beating. What, what's enjoyable but not exciting? I guess staying in and watching a film you've seen many, many times before or going for a meal the two of you like, but you've done it for 10 years. Okay. A circus skills course, that could be quite exciting. Okay. I, I did flying trapeze when I was a very, very young man, only briefly. <laughs> 
And and did you were you the catcher or were you the? Uh, well, it was interesting. They thought I wasn't responsible enough to be the catcher. Fair enough. Which I, I thought yeah, was a good call. Good. Yeah. Uh, so I was the flyer, but I didn't fly as far as I was supposed to fly. So I was the faller uh, okay. most of the time. But I learned a very interesting thing about safety, which is that always have a net. Always. <laughs> They took it away just before I jumped every time. His wise men take away the net. Lols. <laughs> None of us got injured. And the reason why we didn't get injured is because it was so obviously dangerous. You don't mess around with flying trapeze. I'd only did it for a few weeks, but you don't mess around. However, clown school was in straight after us, and they often had chipped elbows because oh, no. they're just like pushing each other over, and they actually once that got injured. So you're recommending uh, trapeze, but not clowns. What I will say about flying trapeze is that it brings in another element about longevity of relationships, he said, making a very clever link, uh, which is about trust. Okay. When you let go, you want to be certain that your catcher is not having an off day or you know going to put another notch in the uh, in the mantelpiece. Right. So, what is there in a long term relationship besides trust and trapeze? Well, we, we talked about keeping things exciting. There's also, and this gets back to again communication. Carol Dwecker's a lovely idea, which is the the magic of the word yet. So, nice thing with kids if they say, "I'm not very good at mathematics." If you add the word yet onto the end of that sentence, I'm not very good at mathematics yet, it underscores the fact that people change and you can improve and so on. Same with the word but, this is work by Sandra Murray, which is that if you criticise your partner, say something negative, and then you go but, and then you say the nice things about them, it does a good job of really taking away from the negative thing. So again, couples that stick together use that phrasing quite a lot. That, you know, my partner's X, but what's wonderful is they're also Y. So this is getting into the, the, the way in which they interact, way in which they converse with one another. And is, it's a very simple win. You it, can use it. Is this about how you interact directly with your partner or is this about how you describe your partner to someone it else? It would be describing your partner to somebody else. Okay. But it's a, it's a good little hack that if you find yourself being critical, to add that on. Okay, that's really nice. Yeah, I like that. Okay, listener Claire Dunning has written in saying, my mum always used to say, couples that play together stay together. Is there any truth in that? I think there is. And again, we're going to fall back on Arthur Aaron, him of the uh, enjoyable versus exciting experiences. And he did another great study. We brought the, some couples in and he gave them a fun time, a, an exercise to do together where they would be collaborating but also giggling away. And the answer was to Velcro them together. So he, <laughs> this sounds pretty. It's great. So he Velcroed uh, the right wrist and ankle of one member of the couple to the left wrist and ankle of the other. This is literally his job. I believe so. This is like yeah. He wasn't doing this. <laughs> Everyone else had gone home in the department. He was like, this would be funny. <laughs> this would be good. Uh, and then he created a, a foam obstacle course and had people go over the foam obstacle course, get to the other side and come back. Uh, so that was one group. And then the other group, he split up the, the members of the couple and one just watched the other one do something with a ball in the middle of the room. And again, in terms of satisfaction and longevity and so on, it turns out that Velcroing yourself to the partner is surprisingly effective because you're having a good time together and actually working together as well to uh, try and achieve this ridiculous aim. When Claire Dunning's mum said couples that play together stay together, do you think she was talking about, not Velcro specifically, but, you know, things like 
chess or tennis or having a common interest, or was it like a mindset of I, having I, I fun think together? Chess, surely. My guess would be it's a playfulness okay. to it, and again, this gets back to the use of humour. That there's humour can be used in all sorts of ways. One way is to bond people together. Uh, and to cheer yourself up. The other way is to make other people look small and pick on them. Undermine your podcast host. Absolutely, yeah. exactly. Uh, and it turns out that in terms of playfulness, the first lot of humour is, is good for sticking people together if you're aggressive and undermining uh, others and so on. Uh, you don't last quite so long together. So I, I think it's that, isn't it? It's that, it's that sense of collaboration, facing challenges together, having a good time and not taking it quite so seriously. But then there's a bit more that you you want from, you know, a relationship. There's romance and there's more serious stuff as well. Yeah, I don't I think all of these things you have to be quite measured. I mean, if every day was being velcroed together, that may not be your your, your be best amazing. recipe. <laughs> That's my ideal. <laughs> what am I velcroing to today? Uh, so I, I think all these things are balanced, but they're all little ideas that that might change the way in which people think about relationship. What about romance? So so my dad is an old-fashioned romantic. Okay. And he used to get my mum flowers every week. The only little bit of research that I know that touches on that is that in terms of these small romantic acts actually often mean a lot more to the person that you're doing them for than you realise. So a couple of the sort of winning ones was to cover your partner's eyes and lead them to a lovely surprise. People really, really like that. And the people doing it underestimate the impact that it has. What kind of surprise? Velcro. Velcro. The Velcro room. The Velcro room. Uh, or one which I've never done, writing a song or poem about your partner. Ooh. So, if someone did that for you, would you be impressed? I, I mean, yes, I would, I would be impressed. Yes. Okay. I'll try another one. Offering them your coat when they're cold. Oh, yeah. You'd like that. Yeah, that's really nice. So so people really like these things. Okay. They help people stick together. But the, the people doing them often underestimate the impact they, they have. Do you believe in love at first sight? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe. I met someone on a train and decided I was going to marry them. And then Is that then, just the conductor? Yeah. See, that'll <laughs> pay a £10 really, fine. Exactly. <laughs> Seemed like a good deal at the time. So a little bit of research into it. It's basically lust at first sight. What no. it tends to be is people sort of judging very quickly on, on somebody who's very, very attractive. And when it then really leads to a proper relationship, then it's, it kind of looks amazing because it's a magical thing. Or oh, as soon as our eyes met, we knew we were going to be together and we have stayed together. But the truth of the matter is there's a bit survivor bias because you haven't not getting to all the couples where they actually, you know, only spent Fancy a couple of days. Fancy each other, realised that the other had repellent personalities exactly. despite their and attractiveness. Exactly, and that's the end of that. Okay. So yeah. it, it tends to be lust at first sight and it tends to be couples who stick together then telling you these, these wonderful stories about it. You know there are all sorts of exciting game shows to mm-hmm. sort of try and get people to to meet up and, you know, fall in love. And there's one where people go on a first date in the dark. Yes. Do you know about this one? Uh, I have seen that because it's based on psychological research. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there, there was a, there's lots of uh, what's called black box research in the, the 60s, which is basically shutting people in uh, those sorts of dark environments and then secretly seeing what they did. And the answer was uh, they felt very sexual towards one another and started doing all sorts of... Things. Really? Yes. Which is, I assume, what's happening on the show, is it? I don't know. I think they're just dating in the dark. So so they're not put off by each other's, you know, that whole thing about 
initial appearance and it's it's kind of the opposite of of love at first sight so you've actually got to talk to each other and oh, establish see. stuff in common okay and then you switch on the lights once they've made that bond did i ever tell you about being in a coffee shop i was well i went to a coffee shop and the person in front of me was a very stylish and attractive young lady have i told you this don't think so if you have um, i've blocked it out okay so the person behind the counter got her order and then looked over her shoulder to me to say, what's your order? So I said what my order was. She went, oh, sexy accent, turned around and went, ugh. And then the two of us had to wait for our coffee. And it was one of the longest minute and a half of my entire life. I thought it was very, very funny. I, th- I think I think that's plenty for our listeners I to be we've, we've to be going a great on. deal I, here. I, I think uh, what I've learnt is your parents are hilarious. That's very kind. And humour is very important for a playfulness. Playfulness and laughing. Yeah. We've learnt the five to one rule. If you say something negative, five positive comments to outweigh it. We've got the Add, adding but. Adding but after a critical comment is uh, is really useful. Doing things that are exciting uh, rather than just enjoyable to keep the uh, relationship buoyant. Can those be negative, exciting things like missing a plate together? Uh, well, it could be if it's bonding, okay. yes. Uh, my friend years ago always said if you want to try and find out if you're going to get on with somebody long term, plan to go on holiday with them, work out how much money you need between the two of you, halve it so you've only got half the money you need and now go on holiday. They thought that was the best way of finding out what the other person was really like. Podimo and Telltale, this has been Richard Wiseman's On Your Mind. Hosted by Professor Richard Wiseman and Marnie Chesterton. Our producer is Kate White. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. And for Telltale are Rami Sabar and Jago Lee. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WisemanPod. Where we'll be regularly asking you for questions for future episodes. You can also email us at WisemanPod at Podimo.com. And if you like this podcast, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you don't like it tell your friends you did why should you be the only ones to suffer although it does help others find us and don't forget to subscribe thanks bye bye bye